Hello, everyone. Abbas Dudwalla, Nick Cantoneri are joining me, Charlie Bevins. To talk about The Last Dance, we've had the night and most of the day to think about it and digest it. I think we all have a lot of thoughts about it. I'm curious what you guys think about it, but one of the first things I want to touch on, sort of the reactions to it, is this is probably the most hyped up non-live sporting event that I've seen in a really long time. And it really lived up to the hype, I thought. I was kind of blown away the entire time. We're only two episodes in. We're only scratching the surface on what this can be. But what it was able to do in just that span of two hours, I think in some ways surpassed expectations. I was really impressed with how they did it. Yeah, I thought, like you said, lived up to the expectations. And I think it also – it was released at like a perfect time, you know, like nothing else is going on. And so this was a, a new sports content for people to consume. And even if it wasn't, you know, if we still had live sports going on, I still think it was incredibly well done. And I learned so much. It was so fascinating. And I, after the end of episode two, I was like, I kind of wish there was another one after this. It was just so compelling and, and well done. Oh, especially the ending of episode two. It really like the cliffhanger was amazing. I love the way they've been going like back in time and then coming back to the to the, yeah. night, to the last season. Uh, the, that that transition has been great. It kind of it really builds up the suspense too, because like you see the last thing that's happened in the past, and you get back to the present day, and you're like, oh, I want to go back, or well, not present day, but to that last season. You're like, oh, I really want to go back and see what happens next in that story. Um, I love the way they split it up, split up the episodes too, with the first one really centering in on Michael Jordan, and then getting that Scottie Pippen story too. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it looks like they're gonna. It looks like they're gonna dedicate each episode to like a specific player, like an important player, because it looks like the next the next one is gonna be about Rodman. So the biggest characters I think are gonna get their own episodes. I assume there's gonna be like a Phil Jackson episode. He has a really interesting backstory from where he played and where he coached. Uh, they kind of say this a lot. Like this is, not only is this an immensely talented group of basketball players, but it's a really strange and interesting group of people. Like there's, you know, egos always come into play for certain things, but it is interesting how this is a team that, like, somebody as talented as Scottie Pippen, how okay he was being, uh, he was with being the number two. He was less, con- he wasn't concerned, as concerned about being the number two as he was the fact that he was grossly underpaid, which we'll get into. But that's what always stuck out to me about him was he was okay being the complimentary piece instead of the the main star of a team he's he's the perfect number two and i mean if he's not on that team you know like if the trade uh that kraus was trying to make for pippen went down you know i don't know if the bulls win because i don't think jordan would win without pippen and you know, we saw once they both left Chicago, you know, neither of them won. So I think they were just the, the perfect match um, to go along with each other. And the Scotty episode was, was really, really well done, I think. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into the whole contract and everything because that is just wild. Yeah, uh, just another thing that stuck out, just 
uh, a big night for Skip Bayless. It's just huge yeah. night for Skip Bayless content. He was he was ready. I was I was we're get, like the Jordan and uh, LeBron tribalism is definitely going to be a big theme throughout this whole thing, just on how Twitter reacts to everything. But I was I had high expectations for Skip, and I think he lived up to that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, the, the Stephen A. Smith burner was having a great <laughs> night too. I mean, that guy—he's a bull. He's a—he's a Bulls fan. He's a Chicago guy. Yeah. So that was really fun to watch. Like some of the some of the memes and like the Stephen A. reactions and stuff he was tweeting were amazing. And then back to Scottie Pippen. Um, honestly, you could argue that he could be a number one if he had had that. He almost chance. won MVP the I year mean, Jordan didn't play. I mean that yeah that year that ninety five he was what he was first in points first in rebounds first in assists he led the Bulls in like every single category steals blocks everything and he I mean he carried them all the way uh, but like honestly like even even in Portland or in Houston and in Portland again in Portland you almost took that that team to the, to got the to finals. finals in Portland yeah the finals and that that wasn't even like I mean if you look back that team wasn't stacked I mean it was like Pippen uh, you know you had uh, Sabonis you had uh Stoudemire too Damon Stoudemire so like he went to my like high a, school oh wow nice nice <laughs> but it, it wasn't like this stacked team that he's taken to the finals I mean he's been and I mean if you look there was like I mean he took sacrifices a lot like he was hurt a lot and he'd still play it hurt his value too and after he left Houston like I mean he was hurt during that that playoff run too so I mean he 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 did a lot for his teams and never really seemed to care as much about like the off the court stuff other than obviously the his contract. Yeah, I think one thing that I really like about the documentary, and this is what this is sort of what David Halberstam does in playing for keeps, where it'll it jumps back and forth. Like it'll it'll go to a particular moment in that season and then it'll give you more than enough context that you need. And I really like how they go back and forth between present and past where they talk about Scottie Pippen being this important guy and they'll talk uh, you know, they'll show him going on some TV show and then they'll talk about what life was like for him growing up in Arkansas as, you know, as uh, as poor as his family was. I thought uh, I, I do like the way they're doing it with sort of giving each figure their own episode because it just plays into so much of the broader context of everything. What did you, I, this kind of leads me to the Jerry Krause stuff because he's the biggest he's one of the biggest factors in all of this but obviously he passed away so he can't you know he can't really explain himself or defend himself not that there really is a way to defend you know the uh go ahead yeah Yeah. I I will say about Jerry Cross I think he gets I mean they they really like portrayed him in a pretty bad way so far but I think he gets more crap than he should okay make the argument because look, without Jerry Krause, you don't get Cartwright. You don't win the first three without Cartwright. That's you don't a get tough Horace trade Grant. to make too. Charles Oakley for Cartwright. you don't get Scottie mm, Pippen. Jordan's guy. And then even after that, you don't get Ron Harper. You don't get you don't get Kukoc. You don't get Steve Kerr. So like, I feel like there were a lot of these other moves that he made along the way. That, I mean, you could say that are the reason they were able to win those championships. Because I think a lot of those players had such big roles on this team. And like that Cartwright trade, it's like you know that you're gonna you might fracture the team's. Uh, I guess chemistry a little bit by getting rid of uh, Oakley, but he did what he had to do for them to win. And like, yeah, he, he probably like, I think there, there were issues like, I mean, the, 
the, the documentary shows that there were issues that kind of probably diminished the lasting impact of this team. I guess, I mean, if they have got, if they had gotten that extra year after that sixth championship, who knows what would have happened. And some of the relationships, especially with Scotty, that got kind of messed up. But I think he should be given credit for, for like the good that he did, because I don't think they win without him, without the moves that he made. Yeah, I think you absolutely, you have to give him credit for all the moves that you just mentioned about that he made. And, you know, he was the two-time, I believe, executive of the year. But also, and they touched on it in, uh, I think it was the first episode, it was that ego of his, you know. He just, he wanted more credit than he thought he was getting. And I think that is what ultimately uh, makes him the villain. You know, he was, you know, he, he made the point to mention that, you know, organ, organizations win championships, you know, not players. And although he said he was misquoted, but still, I think he knew exactly what he was trying to do. I just think his, for as great of moves as he made, I just think his ego just got in the way of what could have been um, an even better and more successful run. Cause he just, I, I just don't get it. Like, you know, why he needed that, you know, that validation, whatever. I think that was the, uh, the downfall of him. I, all of us, you know, all of us never actually saw Jordan LeBron that, or excuse me, all, none of us saw those nineties bulls. Um, but I remember when I would read about them or my dad would tell me about them, or I just hear stories about them. I always think like, Oh, it's so weird. They all just retired at the same time. It's like, no, no, no they just, they just wanted to break it up. And it's, it's never ever made sense to me that, this is a team that it's not like Jordan had was running on fumes or he probably was running on fumes, but it's not like he had like a Peyton Manning type year where he's just clearly not at all himself. He is still the best basketball player in the world by the time his career is ending. And you still have Pippen who obviously was a good enough player to go on to another championship. And you still have Phil Jackson who goes on to win three more championships. The, uh, excuse me, he won – how many more did he win? Did he win four with L.A. or five? Five. Yeah, so he won five with L.A. The idea that you would break that up to start over, it's we're, – we're so far removed from that, and we're in an era, too, where that's sort of encouraged, tearing things down to the studs and starting over. That mindset is encouraged, and yet we still look back on that and think, how could you possibly do that? How does that at all make sense? I think – the team was kind of like they were at a point where it was like everybody's contracts was up too, because like if you look at the year after that, it was only Kukoc, Harper, and I mean and and Wennington were like the three actual like rotation guys who were still left. So I think everything kind of like lined up well. I still I still wish that they had had another chance, um, but I feel like everybody was getting a little older. But I mean, like you said, it wasn't like it didn't look like anybody was on the decline really. So it would have been cool to see that extra that that extra year. And yeah, I mean Kraus did mess up a lot um with those relationships, but um at least they were able to win six. <laughs> yeah, well it, it it is crazy. I mean we I think we're only scratching the surface in terms of what uh actual footage from that season was. I think a lot of I, I we got a lot more other footage than I was expecting, but I think we're going to get more into the footage from that 98 season to sort of understand the dynamics there. And it was just, it stuck out to me that like Jordan and Pippen would just straight up 
bully Kraus on the bus. They literally called yeah. him fat yeah. and short. Like Phil Jackson had at one point had to be like, Scotty, like ease up on him. It got really personal. And that kind of environment, the fact they were still able to win in it is kind of mind blowing to me. You think about how delicate relationships in a locker room are and Maybe it is one of those things where they're all kind of able to come together against this one guy uh, and kind of work in spite of him. But I don't know. It's just so weird to me. That that was one of the parts when they were talking about just going after Jerry. And even you saw uh, on ring night when Jordan's like, hey, Jerry, you want to come to the layup line with us? <laughs> like, honestly, I almost was like, oh, man, he's he's getting a lot of you know a lot of crap that he doesn't deserve i almost started to feel bad for him just for how much they were going after him but it it's crazy because you see how you know how they would pick on him and you know, pick on him it sounds like this is middle school you know out on the playground but but they, they are just kind of doing like middle school stuff like calling yeah, him short really. and fat and yeah they were oh they were so petty like i just get the the sense that all of them like were just so uh like yeah like like we're back in sixth grade or whatever it's it's crazy and then like you mentioned how they were still able to win six championships with all of this that was going on it's mind-blowing yeah I think Keynes I mentioned this to you uh off camera or off zoom or whatever but the idea that because clearly Jordan had resented Kraus and obviously Pippen did as well. The fact that neither of those guys went up to Reinsdorf and said it's him or me, I mean, that's that would have happened by year three if it was today's NBA, probably, right? Like, I it's it is really interesting that Jordan never played that card because as much as loyal as Reinsdorf is to the executives he puts in his front office, there it's Michael Jordan. Like, there's no way. Reinsdorf won't make an exception to that sort of line of thinking. So it's, I'm still puzzled every time I think about it and, and realize that Jordan never said like, Hey, if you don't get rid of Kraus, I'm gone. Like it, it, it never reached that point, which is, it, it's maybe, maybe one of the, those things that Jordan had instilled in him when he grew up, uh, you know, he grew up in a military household, but I don't know. It's that's always been really interesting to me. Maybe it was also like that time in the NBA where it's like that's not really commonplace. I mean, now you see players like a lot of time it feels like players are driving coaches and executives out. Maybe it was just different then where it's like that's never gonna happen. I mean, Kraus was there till what, two thousand three? I think so they gave him a couple years to uh rebuild uh before handing it over to Paxton and, and that that the old crew that just got uh, kicked out but I don't know maybe it was just different then I think it's it's so interesting to see how the league has changed because like like you guys were saying today it's more player driven like if someone is you know unhappy with a coach or an executive you know they'll let that be known and it's happening seems, in Brooklyn like Kenny yeah, Atkinson yeah and it seems like you know that was just uh you know what's the word so taboo or you know unheard of back in like the you know 90s and when Jordan was playing it's just like an the evolution of the league um, where you got players who are basically like like LeBron is basically his own GM or at least he was in Cleveland definitely 
But it's just crazy how much more power the players seem to have now than they did back in the day. You have this whole like thing, but like Scotty might want out and all of that. But uh, so there's actually this excerpt in, in Phil Jackson's book, the 11 rings book. Great book. And he kind of talks about that whole situation. He's like, like, you know, they were struggling. It kind of looked like, I feel like, I mean, we wouldn't know, but I feel like the media narrative then was probably switching into, especially because they struggled into like December into mid December. And I feel like the, the media attitude then was probably like, Oh, they're done. Well, and like, I don't think they would be wrong to think that. Imagine, imagine knowing that this is your last season. I, that's just crazy to me. Like they signed Jackson to a one year deal before this season because they knew he was going to be gone. And everybody knows Jordan is, I mean, it's called the last dance because Phil Jackson told everybody that this is the last dance. Like it's such a crazy environment, I think, to exist and be a team in that it's honestly, you know, that just shows the power of Jordan and Pippen and Jackson, all those guys. But it's, it's crazy to think that they, A, won so many games and B, ended up winning the championship. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, that that whole the moniker is like it's been there for so long too. Last dance, he even he nicknamed he uh, he titled the chapter of the book about that championship. He titled it the last dance, and he's like talking about Scotty and like everything that was going on. And he's like, like here's one thing. I'll just read it out loud. Um, I advise him not to let his anger with management poison his desire to come back and help lead the team to a sixth championship. Uh, then he, he goes on and talks about Scotty's response to that. He said that he stopped uh, – Phil Jackson said that he stopped trying to, like, push Scotty, and he let the players let him know how annoying it is for them. Then he tells this amazing story about, like, they're watching – they had just beat the Lakers. They were 15-9. and nine, so like, nothing, nothing that great. I mean, they ended the season 62-20, and 20, so it was like they were already halfway – almost halfway to their loss total in December. And he's talking about this one, like, film session where – He's like talking about how uh, the team is just relying on MJ to do way too much, and then there's like a like an argument between Luke Longley and MJ where MJ's just like, yeah, because you guys aren't trying hard enough. And then at the end of it, MJ was like, "Well, it's over. We're not going to lose anymore." Mm. And then they went nine and two. Then Pippen came back and they went thirty-eight and nine. It's like it's it's amazing, like how suspenseful they made it in the documentary. Yeah. And then it'll be so much fun to see that the next part of the story unfold over the na- the six episodes, right? Uh yeah, there's um over or over the next more. eight, yeah. Eight more, yeah, sorry. It's like eight more episodes. It'll be really fun to see all of this like unfold and see like this little like struggle that's going on. I really hope there's a Phil Jackson episode because he's so interesting to me because he's been so open about the crazy environments he was in. You think about not only this team, but the Shaq and Kobe Lakers were, I mean, Jeff Perlman's new book is called Three Ring Circus. Like it was a circus to be uh, that, to coach that team. And yet they got three championships out of it. Um, He, you know, Kobe and Jordan are alike just in their intensity and he was able to, to get nine rings out of it. I don't think, they were always easy to coach. Like we know they weren't always easy to coach and yet he was able to find so much success out of coaching both of them. And he's just interesting to me because he's been so open about coaching in those strange environments that he's had success in. 
Yeah, and honestly, like, if, if you haven't read his books, his books are incredibly. Eleven Rings one where he talks about, like, each ring that he's won, even the ones that he won as a player with the Knicks. Uh, and then his other book, it's called Sacred Hoops. Uh, when, you t- when you, like, listen and, like, hear about, like, his philosophy, his coaching philosophy, and, like, all, like, like I mean, like, you've heard the Zen master and all of that, all his, like, the little things that went behind coaching these teams. It's amazing because there's, like, little struggles that he had to – manage properly i mean it's just like it's like working on a team it's like making sure everybody on the team is in the same in that same mindset everybody's on the same page all of that except at like a basketball level it's amazing to read about and yeah a phil jackson episode where it's like a lot of interviews with him and a lot of the spotlight on him that'll be a lot of fun it'll be a lot of fun to watch yeah and like oh my gosh like MJ, Kobe, Shaq, Rodman, Pippen, like some of the the personalities and the egos that even Phil's like had to Lamar deal with. Odom and Metal yeah. World Peace. Like. Yeah, it's 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 incredible the amount of success that he's had having to you know find a way to get all these pieces to work together. He's, I mean, is he the best coach of all time? Maybe. I never put too much thought into it, honestly. But I mean, he's obviously one of them. Yeah, he's I mean, got, what, he's lost he's two finals out of 13? Yeah, he lost one to the Celtics. To the Celtics and to Detroit. And to Detroit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, like, I think, like, even with the Lakers stuff, it's like you saw them fail a lot, especially 4 I mean, they, they added Gary Payton and Carl Malone, still couldn't win. And then, like, even, like, losing to the Celtics and all of that, and, like, him leaving, him coming back, uh, how bad the Lakers were, I guess, in between. Uh, when it was just Kobe. I mean, like, it's yeah. amazing, like, learning about all that. And I really – I, I want to see what he – what we see about him, uh, especially if they talk about the two seasons without MJ. Yeah, they'll definitely touch really on fun, that. really fun to hear Phil Jackson's perspective on that. It sounds like from interviews about this that I've I've listened to, like, it sounds like everything's on the table for, for Jordan and for stuff with gambling and – his dad and all these conspiracy theories about all that stuff from what it's from what I've heard in podcasts about people talking about this, who know, who have seen it, it sounds like everything's basically on the table. So I it's once they get to that stuff, that's when it's really going to pick up. Like I keep saying, we're only scratching the surface. I do want to talk about some of your guys' favorite quotes or moments from this. I loved when he was getting mic'd up in France and the guy asked for an autograph, and he Jordan yes. just gives him this weird yes. look, and the guy like pushes him away. I thought that was he's great. Like, he's like, "You can't be, you can't be asking for that stuff now or whatever." That was that was funny. That like that must have happened literally every single time he talked to somebody. Yeah, he it was. It's like he's a rock star. I've I've heard people say that. You know, it's like he's a rock star, not an athlete. Just the amount of attention that he would get when they go places. My favorite quote, I think, would have to be the um, the headache one with the aspirin. Oh yeah, I told you. How about my headache? Exactly, because I just think that just speaks. You know, he just he wanted to be out there competing and he wanted to win. You know, no matter what. Um, so that was that was my favorite part was the the headache quote. That whole interaction, that game, and, like, everything that went beyond that, like, the, the time limit and all that, that was so much fun to hear about. So much fun to hear about. Because, it's like, you get to see that that side of him where it's, like, I mean, you have all, like, this resting and stuff now and, like, minute limits and whatnot. And you see him talking about it the way that he was. That was really fun to hear. My favorite quote was 
for sure Larry Bird. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was God, God in disguise as Michael Jordan. <laughs> That's so good. I think – um, go ahead, Kins. Well, I was just going to say it's uh, – with what he did in that game, and I – you know, you know about the Celtics from the 80s, but people say like that, that Celtics team was one of the best ever. And coming off of, I think he played, it was like 20-some games, even less that year, coming off the broken foot and putting up 30 four, and 52. Yeah. It's insane what he was able to do against that good of a Celtics team. You know, Bill Walton's cursing out players for having, uh, making him switch on to guard MJ. He He was just on another level there's there's something about that i do want to talk about because you know the, the whole thing about that is to get into the playoffs they can they can sit jordan and lose and get a lottery pick or they can play jordan and win uh and get into the playoffs they end up pulling jordan out of that game and then paxton hits the game winning shot and they get into the playoffs uh and jordan was just just enraged at the idea that you would ha- that you would lose intentionally lose a game to get to get a lottery pick and i think you know it, it begs a question like would he ever let the hornets do something like that there was like, that tweet i was tweet was i was so just funny. about to ask that <laughs> I, there was that tweet i'm genuinely curious like, i mean he yeah um, like does he does he believe in tanking and all this like well, right Tom, uh, right no. right thompson had a really good story just his feature profile about him when he turned 50 and he talks about how when Jordan watches basketball, he was watching it like, like Michael Jordan (laughs) watches basketball. He's like trying to figure out all these weaknesses and getting so enraged when people aren't doing what he would do at a certain point when the Hornets aren't doing that. So I think to have to, you know, if he, he would never hire someone like Sam Hinkie, like that would just never happen to the Hornets, I think. And it's, you know, partially to the detriment of the Hornets, because when you're a small yeah. market franchise, you're never going to attract those superstars. You need to really hit on your draft picks. So I, it's just, that's just a funny uh, conversation to have. Like, would he ever allow the Hornets to just sell off all their assets and lose as many games as possible to maybe get one guy? I, I was thinking that exact same thing, Charlie, when that part came up in the documentary, I was like, wait, but he's an owner now. And, you know, in this day and age, like, it's basically you're, you're either tanking or you're competing for a championship. And it's like, I feel like the Hornets, they're in that in-between where they're, you know, they're picking like 10th or, you know, mid-round picks and all yeah. that. <laughs> and it is, it's funny, like, you know, Hornets fans, they probably, they watch that and they're like, oh, that's why we're run the way we are. Because our <laughs> owner is just so, you know, competitive and refuses to ever think about losing i mean how cool would that be if he was a coach like would you do you feel bad would you feel bad for the players who was coaching a bad team yeah that's basically what happened with um uh with washington yeah god why can't i think of his name uh kwame brown yeah with kwame brown he bullied kwame brown into not really succeed i mean if you know if you're he was really hard on kwame brown and he made it really hard for him to grow and it's one of those things where, um, you know, they say so the best players are always terrible coaches because they can do things that nobody can and they don't know how to explain to people like that can't do what they can. 
And I think that's what it would be like. I think that's why he'd never be a very good coach. That's why I don't think, you know, like any of the legends would be a great coach. Larry Bird was actually ended up being a decent coach, but like, you know, the stuff Magic Johnson is able to, stuff LeBron's able to do, that's not really something that you can teach. So I, the idea of him being a coach and you combine that with just how insanely competitive he is, it'd be tough. I mean, let's be honest, though. Kwame Brown was bad with or without Jordan. Like, yeah, I was going to say, good. yeah. Like, if, if that's going to break you, you he's probably weren't going to make it as a pro anyway. But new information slash moments that made you rethink things. I think this is obviously where the Pippen thing comes in. Uh, he, he signs that seven-year contract with only, I think, a year left on his rookie dealer. It, it was something like that. And he, uh, by 1998, he's one of the best players in the NBA and he's the 122nd highest paid player. This is one of the bigger uh, contract stories, I think, in NBA history that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. Uh, Just the fact that, I mean, at one point, you know, he is playing like an MVP and he's making very little compared to what his value is. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's got to be the most shocking thing. But I, I thought it was it was interesting because, you know, Reinsdorf was telling him, like, you know, don't sign this. I don't think you <laughs> yeah, should sure sign he was. this. But, but, and then, but then, you know, Scotty uh, says, you know, like, no, I just had to sign it. And you see with, like, what, uh, you know, his family, he wanted uh, to take care of them. So you really can't blame him for just wanting to, you know, get as much money as, you know, as he could at the time and trying to take care of his family. But then, I mean, what just the most underpaid player in NBA history gotta be him. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things um, that is, that speaks to just a larger um, problem in America. Like Jamel Hill had some really good stuff about it. And she kind of said, been thinking about Pippen's horrible deal with the bulls. And one thing many are dismissing is the trauma that comes with growing up in poverty and the quadruple whammy of being black poor from the South and the breadwinner of your family at a young age. And she, uh, she also mentioned growing up poor leaves you with massive insecurities about yourself and in constant fear that your financial security can be taken away at any moment. A poor kid from Arkansas, as Scotty was, would look at an $18 million, million contract like it was worth a hundred million dollars. And it, that, you know, I, I'm sure um, Kraus and Reinsdorf probably had some inkling of that when they were negotiating this deal and knew that, you know, seven years of not much money uh, probably looks, probably looked in Pippen's eyes like a lot more than it actually was. I mean, it's still a lot of money. Yeah. It's not like he was, not he was as making much as nothing. Worth. Yeah. He's, he's still, yeah, exactly. It's not like he wasn't, you know, making zero dollars. Um, and he still ended up making a lot of money in his career. Um, it's surprising to hear about this, though, because I didn't know that before. Um, yeah. The front office feud between that, between, I mean, the, the feud between Pippen and the front office, I knew about that beforehand, um, mostly from Phil Jackson stuff. But uh, I didn't know that the contract was that bad. Like, learning about that was, was it, it was nice to learn about that. Um, but honestly, like, I think it, it goes both ways. I really like that what Jamel Hill said, though. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And, I mean, this isn't something else that was kind of – it's not shocking, and it really isn't new. 
but just seeing how the relationship between the Reinsdorfs and the the uh, the GM and the players and the team, just seeing how it, you know it it's still going on in 2020. Like you see all the similarities between the coaches and players that have come since Jordan. Like it's insane. Like the Reinsdorfs are just their their way of doing business is it's it's shocking i guess is the word i'm saying just how they it's you know new cast of characters same storyline like it's almost like a soap opera here the stuff about like he was willing to uh, you know i think i think every documentary sort of needs a villain and through this point it's clear kraus is the villain and Reinsdorf is sort of a, a secondary, you know, quote unquote villain. Um, I think uh, this would be a good time to talk about like what what we expect or what we hope to see in these next two episodes. It's like I said, it sounds like uh, we're going to get the Dennis Rodman story, so we should all buckle up for that. Yeah. It's <laughs> I I can't wait for that one because I don't really know a ton about Dennis Rodman's backstory. I just know it's fascinating and kind of um very entertaining yeah i would say and i think this will be in the same episode i'd assume but rodman and the uh, the bad boys era too them uh facing off against the pistons that's what i'm looking forward to yeah i i agree i'm really looking forward to the to the piston series um mostly because it, it it's like we're gonna see jordan in a different uh, in a different mold rather than just like, oh, he won six championships and he was so good at this, so good at that, so good, so good at this. We're going to see him struggle. Uh, we're going to see them struggle a lot against Detroit. And, like, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how they portray Detroit uh, in terms of their impact on the league because they're a team that, that they beat Boston, they beat L.A., they beat Chicago. So they beat some of the best dynasties of all time. Uh, and then I think it, it – it, It'll be interesting to see how they, like, view them, I guess. Because, yeah, there were some things they did that people hated. And, like, as a Bulls fan, I feel like I'm obliged to hate the Bad Boys Pistons uh, because of what they did to Jordan, what they did to the Bulls, kind of the same way I hate the Heat, uh, the 2010s Heat. But um, I'm really interested to see how they, how they portray them and, like, how, um, I guess, how they view – the relationship and how they view like Rodman going from being on that Pistons team to then ending up in Chicago. I really hope they get Bill Lambeer to interview. Everybody hated Bill Lambeer. Yeah, everybody hated him. <laughs> everyone hated him. I think everyone still hates him. Huh. All right. Well, anything else you guys have or should we, uh, should we call this right now? Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about like front offices and Chicago, I mean, yeah, Chicago Matt Forte stuff. Forgot about for, this. for for front offices, for athletic departments, for everything. I mean, there's like nothing good that comes out of Chicago management wise, except maybe like the Blackhawks and 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 the Cubs of the last like eight years. Enlighten people what specifically you're talking about, Abbas, with Matt Forte. Well, Matt Forte tweeted uh, after the documentary last night. Uh, a lot about like, oh yeah, I mean, like it's not surprising to see like the the front office mismanagement by that in that with that Bulls team. And then he kind of left it at that, kind of like foreshadowing, I guess. Um, and then people started asking him, saying he's like, well, like you know, 
Jerry Angelo, they had that whole dispute about his, his deal, his contract. And then he got hurt that one year. He was having an amazing year and he got hurt. Uh, and then he talked about Emery kind of disrespecting Urlacher, Briggs, kind of tearing down the system that Lovey Smith had. I mean, if, if, I mean, you guys remember the, the defense went to crap after Lovey Smith left. I mean, we had that, what, uh, Mel, Mel Tucker, Tucker. From, from Jackson head coach Mel Tucker. It's terrible defense, pathetic, couldn't put up a fight against anyone. And then, I mean, if you just look at like front offices, I mean, the, the Bulls front office before, um, what, 10 days ago uh, when Garpax finally got booted out. Uh, I mean, Chicago's just like, it just seems like bad management is a thing here. Awful track records. And, and I really had never heard about any of the stuff with like uh angelo or uh emery like you know you knew i just thought they were crappy gms exactly yeah, I just thought they were yeah. bad at their jobs bears weren't winning so i just I assumed they were bad but i didn't know about all the behind the scenes stuff that was going on so that was really interesting to hear forte say um and it just makes you think you know what is going on with the chicago front offices hopefully hopefully ak comes in and you know we're, we're turning a corner here but Man, it has just been so bad. Yeah, I'm not super optimistic about the Pace regime anymore. Executive of the year, of the year Ryan Pace. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite quite a rough outlook. Thinking thinking back to how important Chicago basketball or Chicago basketball is still very important. How important the Bulls were in the '90s compared to how important they are to the rest of the league now. Uh, it'd just be obviously none of us experienced that, so it would just be really cool if the Bulls mattered that much. It's it's a shame though because like you know while the Bulls have been like reeling for so long, it's like basketball has always been such a big thing in Chicago. I mean, people talk about how it's like from different parts of the city, the way they play the game is different, and how like how ingrained it is in Chicago. And I mean, you look at some of the players who've come out of Chicago, some of the best players in the NBA. But it's just sad that like front offices has been have been holding back the 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 team of the city from actually doing anything. Yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, all right, guys, let's get out of here. For myself, Charlie Bevins, for Nick Cancenari, for Boston Wallet. We're gonna be doing this every week, probably after these Bulls documentaries. I don't think any of us have anything else going on. Uh, <laughs> no. So in the mean so in the meantime, stay safe, stay inside, don't go to the beach. This has been Radio DePaul Sports, student voice, your DePaul Media.